Chapter 12 Are You God's Dwelling Place or Only a Hotel? God revealed very plainly to Moses and to David the pattern for the house in which he desires to dwell. We want to see in this chapter a few clear examples of ways that many in the body of Christ today have redesigned his house in accordance to their own plans and preferences. Those who have done so are certain that the Lord is pleased with the house that they have built for him because his presence visits them. Of course, we cannot redesign God's heavenly home, but we can do so with his earthly home, which is the church. Leaders can ignore his design and impose their design and way of doing things on the church. We have redesigned God's house. Let's put what has happened into modern terms that are easy to understand, and although they are only imaginary, yet they provide an idea of what has been done to God's home. For example, we enter the door of the home that God has designed, and we first enter the vestibule that leads to the living room. Then further back on one side is the dining room that is next to the kitchen. Then comes the bedroom and finally the sitting room. We would never tell God with our mouths that we have better ideas, but we tell Him this with our actions. We make changes in the design in accordance to our carnal wisdom and preferences. When we make changes, we are basically telling the Lord, Lord, the vestibule should bring us to the sitting room, and then the dining room should come before the living room. Also, the bedroom should be further back in the house. How does God, in His kindness and humility, respond to our changes? He does not say, You have ruined my plans for my dwelling place and I will never honor you with my presence. Rather, he says, Your design is very nice, but you must understand that it is not my home. It is not what I am used to, and I do not feel comfortable remaining in a house with that design. However, I will visit you, and the building that you have designed can be a hotel for me. God has hotels also. You might exclaim, A hotel for God sounds absurd. However, the prophet Jeremiah understood very well that God has hotels. The prophet surely spoke with a broken heart when he asked the Lord, O oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land, and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Jeremiah 14.8 If this is not a hotel experience, then what is it? Why is he a stranger in our land who spends only a short time with us? It is because we are the ones who have made him to be a stranger. If the house that we have built for him is done so in accordance to his ways, then he would turn aside and consider that house to be his house. He would be comfortable in making it his dwelling place, rather than being only a place to visit. The amazing thing about what Jeremiah's people were experiencing is that in spite of being so far from God in their hearts as they walked in their carnal ways, yet the Lord would visit them and spend a night with them. How many of us have had encounters with God where His presence has been so wonderful and near to us, but the next morning He is gone, and the sweetness of His presence is only a memory? This is not what He wants for us. He wants to dwell continually with us, but we have to conform the house we build for him to his plans and not our own. 
In the rest of this chapter and in the following chapter, we will consider some of the changes that have been made in God's church that make us to be far from what the tabernacle of David was, where God abode continually. What cultures are acceptable to God? As we have seen, worship is a key aspect of God's dwelling place. But what kind of worship does he accept? Some Christian teachers tell their people that God is pleased with the worship that is offered to him from any culture in the world and that there is no reason for any culture to change its type of music, its instruments, or its methods. Supposedly, all they need do is to direct it all to the Lord, and he will receive it. Is this message what God wants us to accept and live by? Ever since the fall of Adam, all his descendants have been sinners who commit sin. Unless a person has been born again, the only source they have for anything that they do is their own sinful flesh, whose primary concern is reaching its own goals. Therefore, all the cultures of the world are the product of sinful men who walk in the ways of the flesh. Obviously, some cultures are more sinful than others. But as Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. John 3, 6. The Bible also tells us that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 8. There is not a single culture on earth that has not been either born of the flesh or else fallen into the ways of the flesh. The only culture that is acceptable to God is heaven's culture and his ways that are revealed in heaven. Today, we are all far from learning and living in accordance to heaven's culture, but that should be a goal in each one of our hearts. We want to lift our vision higher and see the heavenly instead of promoting the earthly. For many years, according to biblical values and morality, the United States of America probably has had the best culture in history. This is a result of a simple fact. The founders were all, or almost all, men who had been born again. One-third of them were pastors. The second president was John Adams, and he was one of the primary founding fathers of the nation. He said that the Constitution they had written would only work for a Christian nation. Is the U.S. still a Christian nation? Today we see what is happening in the United States. Great immorality and every evil thing have entered into our culture and have even been legalized by laws approved by the ungodly. Also, during the year 2020, the world has seen multitudes of rioters who were involved in what is called the cancel culture movement. They are tearing down the monuments that were built in memory of the godly men who founded the U.S. One reason for this is that the rioters want a culture that is totally free of values and restraints so they can live in the depths of sin without being confronted for their actions. One horrific example is that California approved a new law in 2020 that removes some or all penalties for adults who have sexual relations with children. This is an example of the cancel culture. Therefore, the question becomes, what culture on earth today is not the product of sinful flesh? So how then can we believe that God would accept any form of worship that would spring out of the cultures of this world that have been born of the flesh and not of the Spirit? Does God not have any divine standards for worship? Has He not ordained in the Bible what kind of worship He accepts? 
The story of Cain and Abel is the first event that the Bible records after man's fall, and their story taught them that God does not accept worship that is not given in accordance to what He has ordained. What kind of a God would we have if He simply approves anything and everything? He would no longer be holy. One of God's goals for us in this life is that we would be conformed to heaven's culture, not conformed to the cultures of this world. God has not incorporated into heaven the worship of every fleshly culture in the world. If we continue to offer that kind of worship, we will not experience the blessing of entering into heavenly places in this present life. What do we sing and to whom? We all have our preferences with regard to the music we hear and that fills our lives and homes. Does not God also have such preferences? Does He not decide what kind of music fills the courts of heaven? Many years ago, the Lord spoke to me that if the song I am singing is not sung in heaven, then I will not be permitted to enter heaven while singing it. I knew that He was not talking about the issue of salvation. Rather, we are called to sit with the Lord in heavenly places in this present life, as Paul wrote, And God hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.6 Although our physical being is not yet in heavenly places, our spiritual man, which is Christ's life within us, is there. However, we will not participate in the experiences of that glorious place if we are continually yielding our life to sin, doing things that are not permitted in heaven. Obviously, this includes more issues than merely singing songs that do not please the Lord. The Apostle Paul revealed God's goal for us in this life. He wrote, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Romans 8.29 Are we called to be conformed to Christ's image in only certain areas, but not in all areas? Paul also clarifies this for us that we henceforth be no more children, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. The Lord's ways are holy, and he keeps them holy. In the Hebrew, a holy person refers to a sacred or consecrated person. He commands us, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 16. As a young man, the Lord made clear to me how carefully he guards the issue of the music that is allowed in his presence. At that time, I was a member of a men's glee club that had won the world championship both times that it traveled to Europe. In those days, every year, 21 of the best-known glee clubs of the world were invited to Europe to participate in a competition. Later on, our glee club was invited to sing on The Ed Sullivan Show. For many years, it was one of the most popular television shows of all time. For example, on one occasion, he had 73 million viewers in the United States watching his show. At the time we were scheduled to be on the show, I was also singing with a gospel quartet whose main goal was to minister to the Lord and not to the people. Suddenly, three weeks before our appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, the Lord spoke to me in an almost audible voice. He said, You must make a decision. You will either sing for the world or sing for me, but you cannot do both. 
By the grace of God, the decision was very easy. I wanted God's blessing and approval on my life rather than man's. I immediately resigned from the glee club and have never looked back. Through that experience, I began to learn that music is a very important issue for the master musician of the universe and that pleasing the Lord should become our most important goal in life. Anything that keeps us from doing so is a lying vanity. We were made in God's likeness and image. We were made in God's likeness and image. Genesis 1.26 As a result, very often things that are important to us are a shadow of things that are important to the Lord also, but usually in a different dimension. Music is one of the most important issues in most people's lives, and that is a reflection of how the Lord sees music. It is beyond belief, but in 2019, in the U.S., people spent $26 billion on music in video subscriptions. A biblical proof that music is of extreme importance to God is also proven by the Lord's testimony about King David. When God removed King Saul from reigning over Israel, Acts 13.22 tells us, He, God, raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. In the Greek text here, the word that God uses for his heart means his thoughts, feelings, or mind. As with our own heart, God's heart involves what God himself is, and the word after in the Greek means according to. Therefore, what God was saying is that he had found a man who lived according to what he is. The meaning could not be otherwise when God said that David would fulfill all his will. His will is that we be like him. We might conclude that the most amazing thing about David was his military prowess. However, as we have seen, David's victories over his enemies had more to do with his life of worship than with his military genius. David's Last Words Very often in life, as I have mentioned, the last words that a person speaks before their death are extremely important. The Bible records David's last words in two places. Therefore, we can be sure that they are monumentally important. One place that they are recorded for us is in 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. According to Hebrew, the words sweet psalmist can also be translated as delightful singer. Music was a central part of this man who was after God's own heart. In fact, if we consider well his last words, it should be noted that the only thing he claims to have done in the first verse was to sing psalms. Other than that, he tells us three details about his life that divine providence chose for him. 1. He was Jesse's son. 2. He was raised up on high by God. And 3. He was anointed by God. He then ends that verse telling us what he did. He sang psalms. It is astonishing that David was used to give Israel a hymnal that was inspired by the Holy Spirit.
which is the crux of what David said in the second verse. Yes, he sang psalms, but what came through his mouth were words spoken by the Spirit. We know that the psalms are part of the inspired word of God that were given by the Spirit. The psalms were used by Israel as a divinely inspired hymnal. Wait a minute. If, according to the last words of David, the main thing he did was to sing psalms, and he was a man who lived according to what God is, then our God is also a singer of psalms. After all, the psalms were Israel's hymnal, but they came from God. Undoubtedly, God himself sings those psalms, since the Holy Spirit gave them to David and sang them through David. The Lord's Favorite Song The first verse of the Song of Solomon tells us that it is the song of all songs. A literal fulfillment of this song occurred when Solomon, the son of David, sang it to his betrothed wife, and she sang it to him. Being the son of David, Solomon, in many ways, is symbolic of Jesus, the son of David. Zephaniah 3.17 assures us that the Lord will sing to his bride, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. The song of all songs is the song that Christ sings to his bride, the church. May we all enter into the Lord's chambers of love and become intimate lovers of the Lamb of God. Such a life is what his favorite song is all about. David, the man after God's own heart, was known for something else. He played a harp. So this tells us that our God not only sings psalms, but he is also the master musician of the universe. We conclude then that music is very important to the Lord, and worship must be offered to him according to his plan and not ours. In our spiritual walk, God is calling us to come out of the sinful cultures of the world as well as our own sinful ways, and learn to live and worship in accordance to the culture of heaven. God is calling us to the place that he has ordained for us today, heaven. What is hindering us? In the next chapter, we will consider other changes that many have made in the design of God's house that has caused them to be a hotel for God instead of being his dwelling place.